Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I am looking forward to this hour, just like I was looking forward to last hour, which is already over. That was Guide Talk. Now we've got Deep Thinker Thursday, and you know that means John and Pam Bloom. John, of course, serves as an author, board chair, and co-founder of Desiring God. He's the author of three books, and he blogs all the time, writes brilliant articles on DesiringGod.org. And he and his wife, Pam, who's here as well, have five kids, and they make their home right here in the greater Twin Cities Minneapolis slash St. Paul area. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about um, uh, the storms in life, because don't we all have them? And when they come, how do we weather them and how do we get through them? And John's got quite a personal story he's going to tell today. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we're going to also probably open up the phone lines a little bit later or the text line in the second half hour, uh, because you may have a storm as well. And we want to be there for you. We want to help you pray with you. Uh, love on you, all that. So that number to call, or not to call, but the text line is 877-933-2484. Let's take 60 seconds and then bring on the blooms. Statesman Edmund Burke is noted for saying the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. That statement should encourage all of us to engage in culture and be the salt and light Jesus calls us to be. But Burke also said this, Nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. Now, could I suggest that many who listen to Faith Radio have that perspective when it comes to supporting this ministry? Believing a small gift doesn't make a difference, they don't get involved. As Burke says, this is a great mistake. Faith Radio is fueled by many gifts that might be considered small by today's standards. $20, $30, or $40 single gifts, or $10 or $20 a month. Each of these gifts, when combined with the others, form the foundation on which this outreach is built. So thanks for your willingness to do something rather than nothing. Because of your gifts, the gospel goes out and lives are changed. Make your gift, whatever the size, today at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, it is time for Deep Thinker Thursday. That means John and Pam Bloom are in the studio. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's talk a couple of milestones. Fifty years ago, uh, astronauts landed on the moon, right? That's right. And, of course, we all know Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Who is the third astronaut? Oh, man. See, it's, it's I the always forget that yeah. third guy. See? I always it's, forget the third guy. It's like the three tenors. Yep. You know Placido Domingo, right? Mm-hmm. And Pavarotti. Pavarotti, but who's the third? Uh, I never remember him either. You see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, the third astronaut was uh, Michael Collins. There you go. And, and the Poor third, Michael, and, he gets obscured. I know, I know, and so does the third tenor, Jose yep. Carreras, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I wouldn't anyway. have been able to, I, I don't even recognize that name. Yeah, well, I do what we call show prep. <laughs> <laughs> I prepare. Now, 20 years ago, something else happened, and I think all of us kind of, paused and we could remember where we were when we heard the news that 
John F. Kennedy Jr.'s single plane, his Piper Saratoga, crashed in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Martha's Vineyard yeah. and killed him and his wife, Carolyn, Carolyn's sister, Lauren. And I think we all remember where we were when we heard that news. Yep. You were in Home Depot, weren't you? I was. Well, I was... I remember being in Home Depot thinking about it. So I'm, what I'm, I must have been listening to the radio on the way in when they were reporting it because I was walking through Home Depot. I just I remember that it just imprinted on my mind. Um, and so, yeah, it, and I, it's hard to believe it. that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Really hard to believe. And Pam, what were you doing? I was chasing toddlers. I don't remember okay. <laughs> exactly where I was. Another busy day. But, yes. In toddlerville. We were just out in Boston this last weekend, so we were... Thinking about the Kennedys and their stomping grounds. Yeah, we weren't very far. Um, we were on Cape Cod. Uh, we drove through Cape Cod one day, which is not all that far from Martha's Vineyard. So, mm-hmm. and, and of course, we drove right through, right past Hyannisport, mm-hmm. where where the Kennedy compound was, where everybody was gathered. Yeah, and what they charge you just to drive past it? <laughs> they didn't charge <laughs> anything, but it was slow. Okay, it's crowded. All right. All right. So uh, it comes to a point um, where we all have tragedies. Uh, this one was uh, permanent for the Kennedys, of course. Um, my first thought, believe it or not, was I'm glad that his mother didn't have to bury him. Um, just a yeah. thought I had. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, that family has weathered many mm-hmm. tragedies. And so uh, I remember my, I remember thinking about Carolyn and uh, being the last um, of that particular nuclear family, and uh, what a devastating, devastating experience it must have been for her. Let's, uh, John, ch- uh, chat about uh, some of the skills that John Kennedy had. I mean, he could fly a plane, but he was not uh, uh, instrument trained, was he? Right. So, um, I know we're going somewhere with this. Yeah, and I wrote an <laughs> I wrote an article on the de- DesiringGod.org site called when your worst storm comes and i and i used this something that happened i think that that the the, the thing that contributed to the to the crash uh, that 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 plane crashing into the ocean that killed those three young people um and uh, it's a phenomenon that pilots are familiar with and it's called spatial disorientation and we're actually all familiar with it but it, but we don't need to know that term most most of the time because it's not life-threatening for most of us but if we are if you're a pilot and you're flying um the phenomenon of or the experience of spatial disorientation is very dangerous and often deadly and um and all the all the reports or investigations that I've read about this this accident point to the fact that that John Kennedy Jr. experienced this, which is why he lost or why the plane went into the ocean rather than stayed in the air. Spatial disorientation. That, what that what that is is um, a phenomenon that a pilot experiences when they fly into darkness or they fly into some sort of weather condition. It could be a, a storm or it could be a fog, but, but something is causing them to, to lose the ability to distinguish between the ground and the sky. They can't see the horizon. They don't know where they, they don't know where they are. Um, there are senses. They lose, they lose the sense of orientation. So normally, I mean, we don't think about it a lot. We just look around and we can tell 
you know, how to stay stable on the ground because we can see the ground, we can see everything else. And so, um, but when you're in the air, you don't have the, the same kind of experiences when you're on the ground. But if you can see the ground and you can see the sky and you can see the horizon, you're fine. But if you can't, your senses don't tell you necessarily what's true because um, the, the physics of flying are such that, that you can, it can feel like you are, are banking right when you are banking left or, or, or you can feel like you're flying straight when you are actually pointing toward the ground. And, uh, and if that happens, it's a very dangerous situation. And so that's why most planes are equipped with navigational instruments to help pilots be able to navigate the plane when they can't, when they can't trust their senses and they can't see the ground or the sky or the horizon. And it then gets to be challenging for pilots, I would imagine, to say, I will now trust the instruments because if you are doing that for the first time, it's got to be kind of scary. Yeah, in fact, so John... Kennedy Jr. was not certified to fly with the with fly by the instruments is what the what pilots call it, um, and that means being able to just trust the the you know the navigational instruments on his dashboard and be able to fly just by looking at those. Um, it takes significant training for a pilot to get to that point because you know we can when we're sitting here in a secure environment on the ground we can be thinking about those about that and go, what, what would be so hard about that? I mean, you just look at the, you look at your instruments, you can see, you know, there's certain gauges that tell you, um, what your, you know, your, your, your attitude and your altitude and your ground speed, uh, you know, why couldn't you just trust those? And the reason it's so difficult is because the, because your senses begin to tell you things that are different than what the instruments tell you. And when your senses are screaming to you, like, like you've got to, you know, you've got to go down or you've got to bang to the right and the instruments are telling you something different. You, everything in you wants to trust your senses. Yeah. Everything screams, don't <laughs> do that. Don't trust. How do you know that those instruments are telling you the truth? So it takes significant training and instruction before you're certified. And uh, Kennedy was not certified uh, to fly those. And so when he flew into a nighttime fog and lost his bearings... He ended up trusting his his perceptions, and uh, three days after, three days later, they found the the plane on the the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. I think this is a spectacular setup for what we're going to talk about after the break, because I think as we describe John Kennedy Jr. driving into a hazy fog one night, which cost him his life. I think you had an experience, John, not too different in terms of flying into or going into a very dark place in your faith. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about that when we get back. John and Pam Bloomer in studio. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday, and boy, do I like it. Uh, let us know if you've got uh, a similar uh, story or you are in a very dark place and just maybe need some encouragement. Let us know, 877-933-2484. We live to serve. All right, we we'll back.
hate to interrupt that, don't you? Yeah. Welcome back to the show. John and Pam Bloom are in the studio. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday, and we did a, a, a little setup of Flying by Instruments, which would have been helpful for John F. Kennedy Jr. the night he died because he did not have that training. And um, John Bloom had a, not a similar experience of being in an airplane, but had a similar experience spiritually of going into a fog, going into a storm of life. And so I want to hear about that, John. Yeah, so there, I think I found a very helpful parallel between this this uh, phenomenon the pilots experience called spatial disorientation, losing your, losing your bearings in space um, to a spiritual experience. We, I think many people and, uh, and probably just about everybody to some degree or another experiences this, this kind of disorientation. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a spiritual spatial disorientation. And I, I experienced this back, uh, back in May of 1997. Well, May of 1997 is when it began, but and it went on for quite a while. But I flew, so to speak, into a very dark faith fog where I lost sight of my spiritual points of reference that under normal circumstances, you know, just kept me flying right, using that metaphor. So I became spiritually disoriented and began to spiral down. And, um, you know, I think the more common terms for that kind of experience um, in the Christian world would be a crisis of faith or a dark night of the soul. Um, the way I described it or have described it frequently to people is it's almost like God became eclipsed in the, in the, the, the spiritual sky of my own soul, my own perception, where um, for the first time since I had come to Christ, uh, I felt like he, Christ, became obscured in my spiritual vision. I couldn't see him. I couldn't, I couldn't sense him. I lost my sense of spiritual bearings. And, and for me, then, it became more than just flying into a fog. It was like flying into a full-fledged storm, so lots of turbulence. Um, it was, a, it was uh, you know, like, like no other experience I had had up until that point. And um, just felt like the like fear, gale-forced winds of fear were blowing, and and um, I wasn't sure about anything. I couldn't tell which way was up or down. Um, and uh, you know, it, in a sense, <laughs> I lost my senses, my spiritual senses. I became spatially disoriented. And um, like <laughs> like a pilot flying a plane, a lot is at stake in that moment. Right, because if you if you choose wrongly what you're going to do at that point, um, it very well could end up in tragedy. Because if you're flying on a false course, you're going to crash. So whatever false course that might be, and when you're spatially disoriented, you're not sure what's right and what's wrong. And so you know my my brain at that point started barking commands, just like a, a pilot's. You know, in that moment, their their their, their senses are telling him one thing. Instruments are telling them another, and so I'm, you know, for a little while lurching back and forth, so to speak, and uh, and I was trying to get some sort of sense of orientation again. And after this had gone on, of course, spiritual storms are different than than uh, than the physical ones or the the spiritual 
uh, disorientation. This, the, the time frames are different. And so I, this had gone on for quite a long time. And I had this thought hit me with unusual clarity one day. Just, just came almost like a sentence. John, fly by the instruments. And uh, I hadn't done any reading about spatial disorientation. That came later. That's <laughs> okay. I, that came much later, probably years later, when I read up on, on Kennedy's crash. But that, that thought came to me, John, fly by the instruments. And so I thought about, well, what is, you know, what that's, pilots have to do that when they don't know, when they can't see. They've got to fly by the instruments. They've got to force themselves to stop trusting in their subjective perceptions at that point and place their faith in objective instruments. So they've got to fly by faith, not by sight. That sounds familiar, right? Second it Corinthians does. five seven. For we walk by faith, and not by sight. And now this this storm was very very dark, um, and it was the darkest, like I said, that I had experienced. But it wasn't the first storm I'd ever flown into, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I had past experiences. God had brought me through a number of other experiences where I had begun to learn the training, trust. God's promises, John, over your perceptions. And so this really put me to the test like no other experience had been before then. And so um, at that point, I was faced then with this, with this decision. Would I tr- continue to trust my doubt-filled perceptions of reality? Because I wasn't like, does God exist or doesn't he? Is all the things that I had been, been following up to that point r- real and true or were they all false and was I going to crash? Like, like all those things were, were just raging through me. And so as I was flying through that, I just, I, I had to make a decision. What am I g- going to trust? And um, I made the decision to trust the instruments. And what I mean by that is to trust the things that God had put in place to help me fly when I couldn't get my, when I can't tell, my, my own perceptions aren't trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say those, those instruments are very familiar to Christians. They are the word of God. They are praying to God and they are continuing to be members of, of a local church. Those are instruments. Those are means of grace. You can call them instruments, especially the Word of God, because it tells you promises that you must trust when you cannot lean on your own understanding. And you must trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. And I watched you do that. And wouldn't you say, as you obediently took those steps, it's not like immediately the clouds cleared and then you had perspective and you landed or kept flying straight no Mm -mm. it was still disorienting and you learned to function in that disorientation when it didn't feel right and and i watched you do that and it was a scary time for both of us it was and it was it went on for a quite a long time Mm -hmm. um it felt like years it was probably months it was yeah it was it was months uh but but it went on for a long time, um, and it, it you know gradually lifted as I trusted those particular instruments, as I as I flew the plane of my life by the instruments that God had provided, rather than my perceptions. Um, it, they proved to be reliable over time, but but I had to for quite a while steel myself against the the perceptions. 
that I was feeling and the mm-hmm. doubts and fears that were raging through me and trust him, trust him. And um, when you go through those experiences, you start realizing how all over the Bible, that's exactly what the saints were experiencing. That, that's ex- those are the experiences where, where, they, where they had to trust God's word when, when the perceptions of the way things looked to them at that point looked absolutely opposite. Because during that, excuse me, during that time, it was like the the arguments that our atheist friends would have, or the seeming contradictions in Scripture, all seemed stronger yep. than what you would say. This is absolutely true, and I trust this without a doubt. That's right. Previously, right. Those like, like, accusations and doubts all seemed more trustworthy. Yep. And the things that would normally make you go, "Oh, yeah, this is true." Now I'm steady again. Like I would read you scripture and things like I I know you believe this and be like yeah that's not a great argument I think it still it didn't help you there wasn't it was like very weak or non-existent functioning faith although you weren't denying reality of God or scripture you had to fight for it I had to fight for it and I had to fight for it hard mm-hmm. um, and it was not merely willpower like like wish fulfillment, those kinds of things. It really was needing to, to put my faith in something outside of what my internal perceptions were telling me. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was hard. Like, like just, and, and, and the reason why I find this, this, uh, spatial disorientation analogy so helpful is because that's how pilots experience the disorientation. Everything within them is telling them one thing. They feel one thing. And the instruments are telling them something else. And to, and to learn at that moment to trust those instruments is a discipline. It requires patience and trust. Forcing yourself to trust what those things are to say, what those things say are true as opposed to what you are experiencing. That's a lot of vulnerability. And I appreciate the fact that you are just putting it all out there. And you're sharing this experience with our listeners because it's resonating with a lot. And I've got some text messages coming in and we'll maybe get a chance to talk about that after um, the break. But uh, you have my interest. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear uh, more about what God has done through this experience because it's pretty profound, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and for those who are experiencing, it's frightening. Oh yeah, it's frightening. Yeah, and so I, and so people who are experiencing it, who might be writing in right now, I, I feel a great deal of of compassion for. Yeah, all right. Let me take a little break. John and Pam Bloomer in studio. Uh, we are calling this what we always call the Deep Thinker Thursday. Let us know what your uh, issues are or how we can help. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Be back in a little bit. Back to the show. Deep Thinker Thursday is well underway. John and Pam Bloomer in studio. You know John from DesiringGod.org, and he's written a great article. You're going to need to go check it out. Uh, the name of the article is called When Your Worst Storm Comes. 
It came out July 16th this year, of course, and uh, we're walking through an experience he has gone through, and he decided that he was going to rely on the instruments, and the instruments would be God's Word and prayer, prayer. fellowship, mm-hmm. and church community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a listener wanted to know what happens when the instruments fail. How do you trust them again? So that, I mean, if you would have asked me in the middle of my experience, I would have told you, I think the instruments have failed. And if you look at, you can take any number of stories, biblical stories in scripture and look at at a person's life in the middle of (laughs) trusting God and say, it's not working. Ask Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, um, you know, seven years into his Egyptian imprisonment. Well, how's it working? How's it working for you? Yeah. All these, these dreams looks like the dreams are coming true, right? Huh? You're, you're, you're in Egypt. You're way away from your family. This, this is ending nowhere. And so, um, it's a, it's a tender question. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to pass over it. Um, with I feel a great deal of compassion, but I would say that um, don't the God's timelines are often much longer than ours, and we and and following Jesus does not preclude the Christian from experiencing tragedy, from experiencing betrayal, from experiencing bankruptcy, from experiencing disease or death, martyrdom, suffering. Um, Separation of family. Separation from family. Jesus promises that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so, you know, there, there's so many questions that can only be answered um, and addressed adequately face-to-face, looking at a person's individual experience and to, to help them get an orientation on where they might be in the process of the storm. But I would just say that um, if you're, like, I would not, I would not assume that the that the instruments that God has provided have failed you, um, I would encourage you to keep trusting them. But of course, that's going to probably sound trite. It would have to me in the middle of the storm. Uh, but I can say from my own experience uh, that they proved to be reliable over time. And um, and they continue to be tested in different ways. And so we we must learn to trust them. We must learn to trust them. We must learn to trust them. And so, I, but, I, but there's probably a, a long story behind your, your listener's question, and I know that this, I'm probably not answering it adequately. Yeah, I think you did a nice job. You know, there are certain rules and laws of aeronautical engineering, right? So the pilot knows, because of the rules of aeronautical engineering, exactly when to put the landing gear down, exactly when the ailerons need to get in that landing position. There's a certain altitude that is necessary for it to happen. Now, what if the pilot <clears throat> said, I, I'm fully trained, I know exactly when it should happen, but that's just my opinion. What do you think, to the people on the plane, when do you think I should put them down? <laughs> Everyone would panic and go, no, 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 you put them down exactly when you're trained to and you know when to. Right. Um, right. So, otherwise the plane crashes. Right. <clears throat> And yet we have the Word of God in front of us, and we still look for other ways of doing it. We do, yeah. <clears throat> now, the, the, 
the truth is all analogies break down. Except mine. Mine's really solid. And so, yeah, <laughs> except for yours. And, and so, like, like this, this is only, like, the spatial disorientation is a helpful analogy as far mm-hmm. as it goes. It's not an exact uh, replication of what you experience spiritually. And so, you know, we don't, we're not flying with such precise um, laws of, of physics that, that we know, we, you know, we're equipped with all the precise regulations. We are, tr- we are called to actually trust when the Lord basically says, put your, put your landing gear down or bank to the right, right. or what, whatever. And we must learn to move at the direction of, of the spirit. Now the, 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 the Bible provides us, um, pr- uh, precious and magnificent promises, as Peter calls them. And, uh, and they're meant to, to guide us. But each one, each of our experiences is going to be slightly different. And I know that I've spoken in, in a lot of mef- metaphorical or, or analogical um, language here. Not real precise. I haven't described in detail the, the nature of my, my faith crises. I didn't have, there's a lot of things I haven't described, and so people are probably wondering exactly what, what those are. But, but the reason, one of the reasons I'm, being, I'm speaking more generally is because, because um, everybody's experience is a little bit different. There are just, just like in, in some ways, you know, every pilot's experience is going to be a little bit different. Every weather condition that they fly into is going to be slightly different. And, uh, and so our experiences are going to be different. Things that cause us doubt, things that cause us fear, things that cause us, they're all going to be a little bit different. And so what's helpful, I think, is that there are principles um, that we are meant to fly by no matter what kind of experience we're going through. And, and essentially, it's learning to trust those precious and magnificent promises over the very often compelling experience of our perceptions. That's true. And because my experience has been very different from yours. Um, Although the crisis you experienced, I had my own alongside you because I was thinking I've, if this continues, I'm going to be spiritually parenting alone. We're not going to share faith. I, I just played out that scenario in my mind. Like, and I had to go to God and, and, and look at what if, what if I'm abandoned spiritually by you and you continue this trajectory of unbelief, where, where am I? And I had to go back to, I can, if this is my lot, I'm trusting in God and I'm not putting my faith in you. Like I'll be okay if we're parenting together or if I'm walking this walk of faith without a spouse that believes that God is enough, what he says is still true, and I'm not dependent on you. I, there is a healthy way we can encourage one another, but I'm not living based on that, that God is enough. And it, it actually proved to be a good thing for me to, to prove um, I'm looking to God alone, not to someone else's spiritual health. And I think I think um, you have some very valuable things to say, because um, it's one thing to experience this kind of disorientation; it's another thing to walk with somebody who is experiencing that. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if there's a couple of things that you might recommend, um, like <laughs> for for people who are loving those who who are there. Uh, as a frightening experience all mm-hmm. its own. Like like I, I may be losing, you know, my friend or my my, my spouse, you know, to this. Yeah. Well, 
to picture ourselves in the cockpit, like if you're with a pilot who's just lost his orientation and there's some panic in him and you're watching going like you've got the controls and you've just lost orientation for the co-pilot to stay steady and not to join in the panic or join in the disorientation like we could all it could be a major fatality if if i'm joining you and going oh yeah that that unbelief seems real or i'm or i'm afraid if i'm functioning out of fear and panic um and then i i think looking back i would um, tell myself to be more patient and and persevere not to want to jump in with all the verses and all the truth at you like if i just say this this will help you because i i would get discouraged sometimes like the normal things i would do to encourage you weren't sticking they weren't encouraging you and that that could look like this is a bad sign and but really i i didn't need it wasn't dependent on my your faith was not dependent on my words uh, my prayer my intercession for you and my quiet belief and then listening to the spirit like god what do you want me to say because his words at the right time are going to be more fruitful than me just blasting you with all the scripture or all the logic like logic wasn't working um you didn't need all the words you needed a steady friend who's believing who's praying who's not panicking who's patient and interceding for you to have faith eyes again to see god is real and to trust god has this he's in control so I, I think I would be more patient, less words, less fear. And it, but it was a process to learn that. Mm-hmm. But I will say that you were very patient, and uh, you were like a rock in that moment. And, of course, in this analogy, it's not so much that you were in the cockpit with me. It's like you were in a plane next to me because <laughs> you're in your own flying your own plane, and you're having to speak over the loudspeaker, you know, the, the intercom or whatever, and the radio, and, and coach me. Uh, because I'm losing my bearings. Yeah, which I did. I would. Which you did. I would give you orientation. You would say things, and I, and I would say that's not true, or or that that's not the driving force here. That might be a factor right now. Yep. And so for that's not all the in, in this case, you know, like a believing spouse or a close friend is one of the instruments that God helps provide. Somebody who will speak truth to you, and uh, when you're when you can't tell what truth is, mm-hmm. that's great. Here's a listener, a faithful listener says, I feel like I've experienced a crisis of faith. It all started when I first asked the question, is my faith real? I was scared of what my answer would be and if my faith was really genuine before God. Everyone in my family and in my life look at me and say I have a strong faith, but I feel such an existential crisis in my soul. I want God to be my strength and I want to be authentically his and experience his joy but there are times when I have a hard time pushing aside my doubts and accepting his truth. What advice do you have for someone like that? Well, I would say I know exactly what you're experiencing. Um, if you begin to look in some sort of like, like internal gyroscope of faith, to you know, like like that's going to tell you you're going to get your sense of assurance by by this thing inside of you that's going to tell you, like, well, you're okay. You're, you're going to find a vacuum there. It's not a gyroscope. It's a vacuum. Um, it's an emptiness. You can't like, – that's just not the way faith works is by – is through introspection um, 
and by looking inside and trying to determine, do I have enough? It's not wrong to ask, do I have enough faith? It's not wrong to ask if it's real. In fact, in fact, you probably have prayed prayers regarding that, and God is likely answering those prayers because that's precisely what happened with me. I was, there were things that I wondered about if they were real, and I began to pray some pr- pretty um, audacious prayers, and God answered them in part through this, this experience. And I would say what you need to do is, is get your eyes on the promises of God, not Am I trusting them enough, or is it real? Is it like that? That's a crazy land. I'm like, a, like I'm can can easily turn into a a, uh, a funhouse mirrors experience where you're not sure what you're seeing. Is it real? Is it not? Um, you look, you look to Jesus. You look to the promises, and you follow Him. Follow Him, and the very the way you're talking is speaking to me that you trust Him, <laughs> trusting. Him is evident by your willingness to follow him and obey him, despite what you might be feeling. Those feelings will come again. The disorientation will, will lose itself, but you, you keep walking faithfully according to his promises. All right, let me take one more break, and I'm going to give you some homework to do during the break because a question just came in. Uh, what exactly are the principal promises that you are referring to? And you talk about lean into the promises and fly by the instruments. We'll take a short break and be back with John and Pam Bloom in just a minute. Welcome back to Deep Thinker Thursday. John and Pam Bloom are in studio. And we have several callers wanting to know uh, about these promises. What are the principal promises that you are referring to? So let me try to answer that question, um, and then I'll give it an example from my own experience. So, like I said, the the, the nature of a crisis of faith um, is is so varied. It's varied. It's as varied as the people who experience them. And so the I can't just list off the, the pro- specific promises themselves because it all depends on what, what the nature of the fear is, what the nature of the doubt is. You know, some people, some people doubt the existence of God. Some people uh, doubt whether God is going to provide for them. Some people doubt that God is going to get them through the particular um, fiery trial that they're under, that God is going to help them endure persecution. I mean, just, it just, it's endless how many different sorts of variations of trial there are. And so part of the training that we need to undergo, whether we are in the middle of a storm like that or, or before is to get familiar with the promises of God, because there are, the, the Bible is packed full of promises. It's just packed full of promises. And so it all depends on what the nature of your particular wrestling is now okay so let me answer um let me just give an example from my own experience here the one that that i was referring to i was doubting the existence of god and the and the validity of all that i had experienced up to that point now there's a backstory behind that i don't have time to share why but i just like that was the nature of it which makes the promises of god difficult because if you're not sure god exists then you cannot you're not sure the promises even exist 
right? And so, I mean, that was a, that was a deep battle. But the promise then, the promises that I began to, to hold on to were, okay, you have always shown yourself to be true in the past. I'm not going to, to you, you've shown yourself faithful in numerous ways in the past. Therefore, I'm going to trust promises related to your faithfulness. You have, you have answered prayers in the past. Therefore, I'm going to trust that when I ask and seek and knock, you are eventually going to answer. And I'm not going to quickly jump off this, you know, or dive this plane um, because I'm experiencing this particular storm. So I began to, to, tr- to look for promises and put my faith in the promises that had to do with the nature of the struggle at the moment. And so God proved to be reliable. And there's another longer story there. And, and, and um, I would like to tell it at some point, and maybe I will tell it at some point more specifically. But one of the reasons I, I hesitate to do that in a forum like this is because if my story is different from somebody else's, they can suddenly become discouraged. Well, it doesn't apply to me then mm-hmm. because, because I can, you know, that's not what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with this and therefore... And I just don't want people to feel like that because there are tons and tons of different kinds of storms and God promises to be faithful to his promises no matter what we experience. Really, we can, I agree. And then we can go to scripture, ask the Holy Spirit, take me to a promise I need today. And or continue reading till you find one that seems to leap off the page or one you find an issue with. Like, I don't know if that's real. Write it, post it on your fridge, post it everywhere, and then and pray it back to God. God, you said this. Help me believe it. Just reading in Psalm 34, um, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If he doesn't feel good, just say, Lord, you said you're good. You said that the man who takes refuge in, in you is blessed. You say that you are a refuge and that you said you will teach us the fear of the Lord and that you say that your eyes are toward the righteous and you hear our cry. It doesn't feel like you're hearing me, but you say you are. Yep. Can you show me that you're hearing me and interact with him? Like, And I will say that, that God knows that these expectations that these experiences happen. They are the common experience of his people. Just because you're going through that does not mean that you are not part of his. A third of the Psalms are laments. Many of those laments come in the form of God, where are you? God, how long? Psalm 88 is in the Bible because God knows that darkness is the experience of some of his saints. That's the most dark Psalm. There's not, there's not a bit of light in it. It's a person who's despondent, but the light in the psalm is its very presence in the Bible. It's there for the despondent to know God understands. And I would say, too, that Jesus understands the nature of our storms. He knows what our particular stormy darkness is like because, because he has experienced temptations. Um, like every temptation that we experience, he's experienced, it says in, in Hebrews 4.15. And therefore, he's able to help those who are experiencing temptation. And we're able to draw near to the throne of grace. Gethsemane and Golgotha were darker experiences than any of us will ever have. Jesus understands darkness. He entered them willingly for us so that we would be rescued. We could be rescued from all our particular storms. And so that the storms that crushed him 
would end up becoming redemptive Mm -hmm. for us. We can look at John 17 and how Jesus prayed for us. Like that would be a great place just to soak in and, and look for the answers to how he prays for us to be kept. So I was meditating on this morning. And then I talked to a friend actually today and, and she was in a similar context. We were talking about a faith crisis and she said it to me, it's, it's actually a good thing for us to go through this. Like we can, we can be afraid and can feel oppressive, but we can hear from someone who has gone through similar things. Like that was the, a really good gift from God that I went through that because he was actually weaning me from false comforts. And, and it, she, she actually said it in a way like a parent would wean their child off of a bottle or a pacifier or a, a blanket as their security, not because that was a bad thing. That was a good thing at that stage of development. But as a child grows, there are better comforts. There are more significant ones, and, the, and they're more age appropriate and it's hard to say hard to leave that behind but there's actually better ones and God wants to show us he's a better comfort and we're just all we're maturing we're growing and he's transforming us and we'll actually find I think he he is more satisfying there's more joy Mm. it's a hopeful word not I think the last thing I'll say Mm -hmm. is that it has proven, this this dark experience has proven to be one of the most profound experiences and one of the most fruitful experiences of my life. It has shaped just about everything else that I do. All discipline for the moment seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews twelve, eleven. That is a true, true statement. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Just a couple of minutes left. Uh, let me try to squeeze this in. A listener would like us to process this. I mean, he was in a marriage that ended, and he was sort of leaning on the promise of Mark um, in chapter 10. It's verse 9. says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Is that a promise, or is that just a comment God made, and now he's separated and doesn't like it and lived on that promise? Well, that's not a promise. That, that, is, a, that is a commandment. Inter- that that is for obedience okay what god has joined together let no man separate he doesn't say that no man can separate it okay when it comes to marriage mm-hmm. people do people do it all the time and uh and so we needed to make sure that we distinguish between what god promises that he will do and things that he w- and his warnings and his commandments. So, mm-hmm. so commandments aren't necessarily promises. He might put a, a, com- a promise to a commandment if you, you know, it's conditional. If you obey thus and such, this is the fruit of that. This is what I will do for you. But a commandment itself is not a promise, and it can be a warning. Warnings are not promises. Warnings are to be heeded and obeyed. That's real interesting. Really good response. Always nice having you both in the studio. My goodness, when uh, you just got back from Boston, and are you done with your summer plans? Is that more, no more travel for the summer? No, we got no, more. Um, What's next? Well, I'm I'm at the end of this month. I head to Luxembourg for a few days to speak at a conference there, and uh, and then Portland, then I fly Oregon. back and 
Luxembourg, Wisconsin. Pick up Pam and we go to Portland. Luxembourg, Oregon. Wisconsin, or no Luxembourg uh, on the board. Luxembourg and Brussels. <laughs> oh, that one. Okay, yeah. so you're going to fly overseas again. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of a missionary. Nice. Gathering. And of course, John's article that we've been talking about today is at DesiringGod.org. It's called "When Your Worst Storm Comes," and you can uh, read that at DesiringGod.org. Um, really been uh, nice having you back in studio. I miss when you guys travel and I don't see you. So I always look forward to it. I know our listeners do too. So thank you so much for coming in. Great to be here. Thanks, yeah. thanks. thanks. And thanks for listening. And thank you for supporting Faith Radio. It's um, If you are just new to, to Faith Radio and you would like to learn more, you know, go to our website, myfaithradio.com, and you can click on this little link to say, send me a welcome packet, and we'll do that. And we will uh, tell you all about our shows and give you lots of information. So if you missed any of this show and want to hear it from the start, go to MyFaithRadio.com. Go to the Afternoons with Bill show page, and you can, you can uh, listen to anything you heard today or what you missed. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.